Happy New Year and welcome everyone to Greetings from Brussels, episode 19 of our Global Tech Swap podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Taylor, and as always, I'm joined by our EU team. Hi, Anna. Hello. Hi, Niels. Hey, everyone. everyone. So to kick off the, the new year, we're looking ahead at the European Union's priorities for 2022. And January also marks the start of the French presidency of the Council of the EU. For the next six months, the French will take up the role of chairperson in EU-level discussions, which will include talks on key files for app makers like the Digital Markets Act. In our policy discussion, we're diving into the priorities that the French presidency um, has set for the first half of 2022 and what they mean for app makers. But first, tech history and the top tech headlines in Europe. In January 1991, about 30 years ago, the first browser to the World Wide Web was released. English scientist Tim Berners-Lee co-invented the World Wide Web in 1989, pardon, along with Belgian computer scientist Robert Caillot. They wrote the first web browser in 1990 while employed at the European Organization for Nuclear Research, CERN, near Geneva, Switzerland. At first, the browser was only released um, outside CERN to other research institutions starting in January of 1991, but later to the general public in August of the same year. The World Wide Web has been central to the development of, information, of the information age and the primary tool um, billions people use to interact on the internet. Who knew that at the start of browsing this wealth of knowledge were a Belgian and a Brit? In Switzerland, and that's it for tech history. And now it's time for Brussels Bytes. Anna and Niels, what are the latest top tech headlines from inside the Brussels bubble? In late December, the Internal Market and Consumer Protection Committee, IMCO, of the European Parliament adopted its position on the proposal for the Digital Services Act, or DSA for short. The DSA aims to define clear responsibility and accountability rules for providers of intermediary services and in particular online platforms, such as social media and marketplaces. In the past year, events such as the attack on the U.S. Capitol and the removal of former U.S. President Trump's social media accounts have drawn particular attention to the power of big tech companies that the EU defines as very large online platforms. Under the DSA, these platforms would be subject to specific obligations to limit the risks they pose in the dissemination of illegal and harmful content. The Netherlands Authority for Consumers and Market, the ACM, ordered Apple to adjust the conditions in their app store that apply to dating app providers. Specifically, the ACM points out that Apple needs to allow multiple payment systems for making purchases within dating apps. The ACM did not comment on the possible expansion of these rules beyond dating apps. On January 5th, the German cartel office announced it is examining Google's use of personal data and its Google News Showcase product. The investigation is a result of the cartel office's new powers to regulate internet companies. According to the cartel office, Google meets the threshold for a company subject to its new supervisory powers to address anti-competitive behaviors. 
Google commented that it will continue to work with the cartel office to ensure German consumers can continue to use Google's products. The cartel office is also considering for further investigations into Amazon, Apple, and Meta. We will, of course, keep you informed about future developments in those cases. And that's all for Brussels Bytes. And now on to our policy discussion. From January 1st to June 30th, 2022, France is taking over the rotating presidency of the Council of the European Union, which is the EU institution that represents the member states in Brussels. As the holder of the presidency, France is responsible for coordinating the work of the Council and organizing meetings with all of the EU member states. The role of the presidency is to act as a, an honest broker. Um, it prepares the Council's agenda and gathers mem- the member states' position on important legislative files, but it also plays an indirect role in shaping policy discussions at EU level by setting the priorities for the next half year. And to dig into those priorities, we're keeping things in-house this month for a deep dive with fellow co-host and policy expert Anna Bosch. Perhaps we can start with um, a look across the board. Um, can you tell us about the horizontal priorities the French marked out? Sure. Um, so often when countries present their plans for the presidency of the Council of the EU, they have a list of um, so-called horizontal priorities and some specific legislative files. Um, more concretely, the French presidency set three main ambitions to put Europe back in the driver's seat when it comes to digital innovation, economic recovery, and climate change mitigation. Um, and so these horizontal priorities are One, creating a more sovereign Europe, which includes digital sovereignty, Um, and we will touch on this again later, but that basically means that they want to make Europe less dependent on foreign technology companies and making sure technology companies comply with EU laws. Um, The second priority is creating a new European model for growth um, to make Europe a region of production, job creation, innovation, and uh, technological excellence, um, where the economic development also aligns with Europe's climate goals. And then also, this is more important for our members, this model would support ideally innovation and growth of European digital players um, and enable Europe to set its own rules for the digital world. And then the third priority is a more humane Europe. Um, That means that the French want to defend the rule of law and uphold its values, um, taking pride in Europe's culture, trust in science and knowledge, and Um, commit to fighting discrimination and secure a future for the next generation. And here, for us, um, what's relevant is the proposed rules to tackle illegal online content. So, okay, and what about the specific files? Um, Are the most prominent files for EU app makers, such as the Digital Markets Act, but also the Digital Services Act, listed in um, the action plan for this first six months? Absolutely. Yeah, these pieces of legislation are progressing fast um, and there's a clear ambition from the French to adopt them during their presidency. Um, For example, we've heard some rumors that the negotiators will finalize the discussions around the DMA um, by the end of March, which is coming up very soon. Um, And during during these negotiations, it's important to keep in mind that the presidency also coincides with the French presidential elections um, that will happen in April. 
um, and therefore the win on these files is also symbolically important to the French um, to show that they have managed to finalize negotiations on how to limit the power of big tech and pushed forward one of like its biggest political priorities, which is enhancing Europe's digital sovereignty. Um, so we expect this to play a huge role in the French presidential campaign as well. Well. And yes, the, the, the French have been at the forefront of most digital files in the last couple of years. So we can expect them to be strong advocate for the reinforcement of regulation of digital platforms through both competition and content regulation. So at this point, can we say that the Digital Markets Act um, is a done deal? Um, I wouldn't quite say it's a done deal. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done, um, and the negotiations between the European Parliament, the Council, and the Commission, um, which is also called the Trilogue Negotiation, th those have only just started. Um, and the positions of these institutions are still quite different, um, and they need to reconcile those during the um, negotiations. So before they can agree on a final uniform text, they need to um, agree on a couple of items. For example, um, the thresholds that determine which platforms the DMA identifies as so-called gatekeepers and therefore um, fall under the scope of this law. Um, and those platforms then will also have to implement the different obligations included in the DMA, such as guaranteeing interoperability or data portability. Um, and the European Parliament's position limits the application of this law to only five of the largest platforms, so the scope is more narrow, whereas the Council and the Commission um, have indicated that they would prefer a broader scope of this law. Um, another thing that their opinions diverge on is the enforcement of the legislation. Um, the European Parliament wants to leave more power to the European Commission with um, an enhanced collaboration with the national competition regulators, whereas some of the member states in which those national competition regulators are present, they would obviously prefer a more active role for their own regulators in the enforcement of the DMA. And then another big point is um, the shape of the regulatory dialogue between the gatekeepers. Um, and the institutions and third parties. And this was also um, something that was very important in our own advocacy because for us, it's really important to see how third parties like our members will be able to provide feedback on the impact of the DMA's obligations. Um, because any obligation in the DMA that's imposed on a large gatekeeper will also have an impact on our members' business models. So for example, the obligation that mandates the enabling of sideloading of apps on mobile devices could disproportionately affect the smallest businesses and then create obstacles for them to enter the market. And so if that's the case, it's important for our members to have a voice in this regulatory dialogue because we know that our members um, depend on the security and privacy that um, the app stores have built into their safeguards to generate trust in their products and the app ecosystem in general. So that's why that is one of our main priorities to um, make this a topic of discussion in the trilogues um, because our members have to be able to express these concerns to the commission before this law is agreed upon. So basically, long story short, there is a lot of discussing and negotiating ahead before the institutions can actually adopt the DMA. Um, and taking the time for thorough negotiations is essential to ensure that this massive legislation remains workable and flexible as well as um, future proof and isn't outdated in a couple of years. 
And there was another topic you mentioned, which is um, digital sovereignty. And that's um, a term French President Macron uses frequently. We've previously discussed what it means, but um, since we are seeing it reappear in the French presidency program, what can we expect uh, in terms of uh, legislation? Yes, um, France has consistently expressed support for the development of European digital champions. Um, and now during its presidency, France wants the EU to funnel loads of government support to key industries such as um, microchips and cloud technology and green technologies. Um, and it's also worth noting that France itself has invested heavily in the field of artificial intelligence. And here they see an opportunity to leverage the knowledge and skills of French startups and innovative SMEs and other like larger stakeholders. Um, and the EU at the same time is um, also working on an AI act at the EU level and aiming to have a general approach on this legislative proposal by June, which would also tie in with a lot of the work the French are doing now because they are um, in the presidency seat until the end of June. Um, but it's not all about the French industry. So there's a real ambition across Europe to ensure that the European economy doesn't depend on foreign technology or investments, and that the EU is basically free to make its own decisions and control its own destiny and engage with its partners to address global technology uh, challenges. And so digital sovereignty is both um, a geopolitical priority and um, kind of a, um, a technological priority for the EU because it's economically important. And we will monitor how this applies in practice. Um, ideally, on, from our end, this concept would obviously not evolve into fragmentation in the digital single market um, or fragment what the EU is doing from other parts of the from other parts of the world. Um, and also, we uh, continue cautioning the EU against being sidetracked by these anti big tech sentiments, which could overall hinder the development of European digital businesses that need the, dynam uh, the dynamism and reach of platforms to grow. And currently that is global and we would want to preserve the global um, environment of the platform economy. Yeah, that's definitely something to monitor. And um, also for our audience that manufactures IoT devices, we've also looked at standard essential patterns, SEPs uh, for short. Um, Anna, they're not really mentioned as a priority topic. Um, it, does that mean that there won't be much progress on SEPs in the next half year? Yeah, that's, um, that's true. It's not mentioned directly in the French agenda, but there are certainly some developments ahead that we um, will be keeping track of. The European Commission is currently working on a roadmap for a new legislative framework for standard essential patents, and it will be holding a public consultation on this roadmap before the end of the first quarter of 2022. So that will be the next two to three months, hopefully. Um, and a potential proposal for a regulatory framework on SEPs will then likely follow this roadmap consultation by the end of the year, accompanied by another feedback opportunity for stakeholders. Um, and as listeners of this podcast know, we have been following this for years. So of course we will actively participate in the process. Um, and then in parallel to this specific SEP, um, 
legislative proposal that is coming up. The EU is also reviewing its rules on horizontal cooperation agreements between companies. Um, and for some background here, the, the treaty on the functioning of the European Union prohibits agreements between um, undertakings that restrict competition. And this covers cooperation agreements between actual or potential competitors. Certain agreements, however, are acceptable if they contribute, for example, to um, technical or economic progress. And the horizontal guidelines include agreements in the context of licensing of um, standard essential patents. And the guidelines state that ensuring a balanced framework for the licensing of SEPs promotes a healthy European innovation ecosystem. And they are thus crucial in preserving the fair and reasonable and non-discriminatory licensing of SEPs and preventing abuses related to SEP licensing. And now to bring all that back to the French presidency, one of its other priorities is supporting the establishment of a unified patent court, or UPC for short. Um, this body would offer users of the patent system, such as SEP licensors, um, a cost-effective option for patent protection and dispute settlement across Europe, rather than having to operate with the, within the current patchwork um, that is present in the EU. The participating member states would set the UPC up as an international court um, to deal with the infringement and vil um, validity of both unitary patents and European patents. And this way, the UPC would likely lower often um, costly parallel litigation and enhance legal certainty for um, businesses that do license patents. Um, I, I've been talking for a while, so I'm going to stop here since we already covered a lot. Um, and that seems like a lot to look out for, for now. Thank you very much, Anna, for helping us sift through the topics of interest for the next half year. We will keep our members informed on how these and other files progress throughout 2022. But that's all for now. And uh, of course, if you have any questions uh, regarding the upcoming developments at European level, you can always reach out to us and we're happy to answer. Yeah, thank you for letting me talk about all this. And now it's time for random identifiers. Anna, you're up first. <laughs> Anna, back to talking. Um, so my random identifier this uh, month is a podcast recommendation. Um, it's called The Happiness Lab with Dr. Lori Santos. Um, I started listening to it over the holidays after two friends recommended it. Um, and it was kind of fitting for the holidays because I was alone because of COVID. <laughs> um, and the, the Happiness Lab podcast um, is basically this Professor Lori. She um, share, kind of talks about the latest um, scientific research and um, shares like stories of different people um, on about happiness and like shares like practical advice how like that you can make like little changes in your day-to-day -day life on how to become like a happier person which was just like really interesting to listen to and I think I'm really late to this because it's been around for like two years or so um but they explain common misconceptions about like things that like we think will make us happier but they actually don't like like more money or a better job or like nice vacations and like they kind of talk about what actually how our brain and happiness like work um so I really en enjoy listening to this podcast and it has been like a really nice um way to find little things in my day-to-day -day that now I think about differently so I would really recommend listening to it for everyone that's going to um going through like a new year and winter funk 
Yeah, well, that's super interesting. And even I think on, on, on a daily basis, like all throughout the year, having those little tips to, to become more happy and also mm -hmm, to de mm -hmm. deconstruct a bit uh, what well, the social contrast of happiness um, yep, and yep. making it very personal. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, learning how to be happy. That sounds great. <laughs> for sure. So, Niels, what's your random identifier? Well, I, I thought... Um, maybe some of the listeners are feeling like the government is watching and let me let me feel that fear a bit more um, because I read um, somewhere a headline that I that I couldn't shake off uh, ma mafia fugitive arrested after being spotted on Google Street View in Spain that is just just perfect to me so there's there's like a Sicilian mafia fugitive <laughs> on the run for like 20 years and he gets spotted in Google Street View and swept up by this specific um, anti-mafia unit that it Italy has. And they just pick him up somewhere in Spain and uh, that's the end of it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it does raise some question, but yeah, um, for sure. Thanks, Niels. <laughs> I think um, in the Google Street View of the house that I live in, um, I am in it, but they blurred my face out, and I only like noticed that that is me because I recognized like the T-shirt that I was wearing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, so I, you can see me earlier... on the front porch of my house <laughs> if you go on Google Street View. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. In one of the earlier photos, I was on my bike somewhere, and I saw the <laughs> saw the thing, and then I went to that crossing, and I don't know if it's still there, but I I, I was there. Um, but indeed with a blurred face so that made me wonder like how how, how does that work yeah. but apparently it was like a picture and he has some sort of a noticeable scar and that's hmm. how he spotted them interesting so another story we're all on the google uh google view <laughs> um, google sees everything <laughs> so i'll give my a random identifier mine is a book actually um one that i finished just recently it's um it's called witches oh no sorry in english it's in defense of witches and um, why women are still on trial. It's a bit of a feminist book, so I really highly recommend that we need more of these. Um, it's it's written by Mona Cholet. She's a journalist at Le Monde Diplomatique, which is a, um, a quite a famous newspaper in, in France. And it's interesting because it takes um, the start of the wish, witch hunts, uh, mm -hmm, which we okay. often think that they're back in the Middle Ages, but they actually happen way later. Um, and how this has shaped completely uh, the way we perceive women in our society, single women, childless women, aging women, uh, just free women or women that have a personality and how uh, <laughs> we learn to, to, as women, to tame ourselves down. And uh, so it's, it's quite re revealing about the world we're living today and uh, where the misogynistic image uh, of women was inherited from so i really highly recommend it so yeah that's my uh random identifier awesome i can't wait to uh get the link for that in the show notes <laughs> yeah definitely share it uh, she wrote so many books uh i think the next one is about how patriarchal um societies have destroyed heterosexual couples so yeah that's <laughs> Some light reading. <laughs> Some light reading, but great that it's available in English as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And we've reached the end of Greetings from Brussels, episode 19 of our Global Tech Swamp podcast. Um, if you're interested in learning more, head over to our website at actonline.org slash techswamp, where you'll find our show notes. We also have transcripts available. You can find them at the top of our show notes, as well as on podscribe.com. Just search for TechSwamp. And you can subscribe to TechSwamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to get the latest episode first. Don't forget to rate and review. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Bye. Bye.